Hey everybody, we are super pleased to announce our new sponsor, Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. The goal? Power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. And the best part? Marvel Strike Force just reached its six-year anniversary, which means free stuff when you sign up via our unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. Just complete each event, and you'll receive special awards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and every week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. If we have received a unique promo code for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL, M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Again, anybody uses that code, it is unique for all new users. Check it out. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Same fun we have at the table together. This is Anthony. This is Chris. This is Daniel. This is Drew. Welcome to the podcast. This is episode 29, and this week we're going to be talking about freedom, continuing our features on uh, historically based games. Freedom! <laughs> All right, guys, so you can find us online just about everywhere. We're on Facebook. Look for Board Gamers Anonymous. We're on Twitter. We're at BGA Podcast. We're on Board Game Geek. Search for our guild. And we have BoardGamersAnonymous.com, where you're going to find... 30,000 articles by Drew, and two or three by Daniel and myself. Chris has a few coming up soon as well. Um, we're going to be posting there every week. So uh, we are online. Connect with us. We're all on there. We'll reply to comments. And don't forget to rate us on iTunes so we can get the word out there about BGA. Absolutely. So this week we're going to dive right in. We're going to start talking about some uh, recent board gaming news, uh, some of it interesting, some of it a little bit sad. Um, Chris, take it away. All right, so maybe even following the ongoing struggles of Cryptozoic as it's been under siege by Wizards of the Coast. Recently, Cryptozoic had a new game release called Hex Shards of Fate. This is an online deck-playing game, very similar to Magic the Gathering. So obviously, Wizards of the Coast was not happy about this and filed a lawsuit of over half a million dollars as far as infringements of their IP. So this has been going back and forth on the web as far as who's responsible and to what level of responsibility does a game maker have in either crediting or paying another company for their mechanics or their ideas. Now, what's really interesting about this, and if you're a hobby board gamer or coming into the hobby, is when you play board games, you're going to be struck by the fact that a lot of mechanics are used over and over in different games. And you may have heard of us talk about how, oh, this is a deck builder, this is a worker placement game, this is a card drafting game, because in the hobby board gaming world, this is fairly common. Now, this is a little bit different because this is an online game, so obviously we're talking about millions and millions of dollars. And actually, in fact, for the Kickstarter itself, they raised over $2 million for this game. And it does have, at least from the looks of it, it does have that Magic the Gathering feel as far as you're playing mana, and there's a lot of similar cards, how it plays, so there's some difficulties going on here, but this could set a precedent for later games. What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, I think it's dangerous. And everything I read before said that you can't 
I mean, obviously you can't copyright a mechanic. If we could, we would have one deck builder, and it would be boring, <laughs> it would be Dominion. I don't... The idea that you can say, these are my mechanics, you can't take them, that itself worries me. I don't think that's what this lawsuit's about, but I'm afraid it could set precedent if they win the lawsuit. I think there is already an insufferably large number of CCGs out there and expansions. Sooner or later, someone's going to step on someone else's toes. It looked like it already happened. I don't care. I mean, it makes a lot of sense for them. I mean, Cryptozoic, while there are, I mean, in the hobby gaming world, a big kind of company, they are really a tiny company. So they may just be looking for some sort of setting precedent here, because if they can win this case and show that you can't use the mechanics or the idea then they could go after Blizzard because they already have this precedent. So better to go after a small company with a few lawyers instead of Blizzard, which has probably thousands of lawyers and millions and billions of dollars out there. So let me actually tell you a little bit about um, Cryptic Zoic's response here. Um, and this is to quote them. We respect intellectual property rights, but the right to make a TCG is not exclusive to Wizards of the Coast. Many TCGs can and do coexist with any IP rights Wizards of the Coast might have. While IP rights are important, so is fair competition. Wizards of the Coast cannot snuff out fair competition and friv frivolous infringement associations. As a small company, the daunting task of defending ourselves from the bullying of a much larger company is difficult, but we are committed to hex, shards of fate, and ultimately we will prevail. So this is something we're going to see happen for the next weeks and months, and hopefully there'll be some sort of fair compromise there because you know both are great games and really important to the industry now remind me again chris ccg collectible card game what's tcg trading card game mm -hmm. same it's thing. same basically same, same thing, thing on okay. that and remember this is an online game so there's a lot more there's no physical copies of the cards mm -hmm. as of yet so this is a new kind of genre obviously right taking the board games and putting them into the digital realm on a nicer topic, we're going to talk about Game of the Year. So the Spiel des Jahres, Game of the Year in Germany, has been released for 2014. If you're not familiar with the Spiel des Jahres, this is the German Board Gaming Hobby Games Award. Now, since Germany is kind of the center of the hobby board game universe, these awards are very important for the industry. Um, the winners tend to make a great amount of money and really kind of set the standard for other board games in the future. So for the Spiel des Jahres for 2014, three games were nominated. The first game is Camels Up. Second game was Splendor, which we covered in an earlier podcast. And the third game was Concept. So these games are the family type of games where everyone can play them, a nice kind of entry-level game. And then for the Kenderspiel, these games are the heavy hobby kind of R board games. So Istanbul... Concordia and Rococo and really great games all heavy games um, and then obviously there is a third category for the Kinderspiel which are the games for children now all of those games are German releases and they haven't been released to the US as of yet and they have really crazy difficult kind of German names which I will not insult our German <laughs> audience more than I already have in trying to pronounce their names I think for our side at least you know we're all big fans of Splendor and hopefully mm -hmm. that comes through. And uh, Concept seems like a fun game, more of an activity than an actual game. It's more of a charades, but actually without speaking. Mm -hmm. So looks like a lot of fun, and hopefully we'll get our hands on that soon, too. Now, in that second category, you said it was Istanbul, not Constantinople? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I, I see what you did there. 
I'll be here for the next hour or so. <laughs> Not really all week. And another p- piece of interesting news. Now, we've all been waiting for the X-Men versus Avengers Dice Masters game. Yes. Well, <laughs> just a little bit. Well, actually, since you're waiting for that and since... You know, WizKids clearly cannot have enough products out there. They will be releasing a Dungeons and Dragons Dice Masters game that's going to be coming up. So, same type of game, same gameplay, but with a Dice Masters theme added to it. So, um, if Marvel and Avenger and DC was not your thing, you might want to check out the Dungeons and Dragons version of this that we'll be releasing at the end of 2014. But knowing with kids, maybe the end of 2015 or 16 or 17. Or whenever. Or whenever it actually gets out there. But that's pretty exciting. So it, a lot of different flavors for everybody. And clearly they're doing well with the game. So why not offer a different version of it? So, Joe, I know you have some unfortunate news about Games Magazine. Um, I have a friend uh, connected with Games. And uh, the word I've heard is that Games has temporarily suspended publication. Um, editorial decision. They're going to review uh, how they want to reconstitute going forward. It's it's the same sad story throughout the publishing industry. It's a lack of funds. Um, there's not a lot of advertising in the board game community. So much money now is going into Kickstarter. Um, publishers are putting money into sponsored articles in... Um, what is it, Meeple Monthly and different little things you see. All of that is just sponsored uh, promotional information. There's no real independent magazine out there except for games. Um, And like a lot of magazines, having a tough time going. So um, they may uh, reconstitute later in a uh, slimmer form. Um, The idea I had heard was, uh, you know, currently they're a glossy magazine with a, a paper insert for puzzles. That may be reversed. It may be a primarily a paper it's published by Kappa Games or Kappa Publishing, which puts out a lot of uh, crossword puzzle, variety puzzle things. And they might go with that with a glossy insert in there. So whatever they're going to do, we hope it comes back in whatever form, but it's just not going to be what we've known in the past. That's a real shame because they really were the industry leader as far as, you know, hobby board game journalism. Games 100 buying guide every year, game of the year. Yeah, they, that might not happen right now. That's uh, too bad. Yeah, that is a shame. And that's just kind of the way the, like you said, the publishing industry has just been, it's either modernizing and digitizing or just going away. And it's, yeah. it's a shame to see when these old, you know, established publications can't keep up. Kappa Publishing doesn't have a very strong online presence, never found the need for it. Maybe um, maybe that'll be an editorial decision that they can explore that, expand that. Yeah. That'd be great. If you want to stick around, that's the way to do it. So we're going to move on now. We're going to talk about some of our acquisition disorders, some of the stuff we've been looking at that we want to pick up. Acquisition Disorder Corner. All right, guys, so what has caught your eyes this week? You know what I'm excited about? Dungeons and Dragons. I'm a retro kind of guy, and uh, Wizards of the Coast is going retro. Yay! They're bringing out all of the early, the original Dungeon Dragons material, the Dungeon Master Guide and the uh, Monster Manual, and uh, so excited about that. They're creating a starter set because they want to introduce new generations to this. Um, I'm, I can't wait because I've gone away from it because D&D has gotten too heavy. 
um, too bogged down in battles. And this is a chance now to get back into the whole campaign concept. In fact, they're even throwing out a free basic Dungeons & Dragons PDF file you can download. And they say you can, you can develop characters uh, from up, straight through level 20 with it without paying a thing. They want people to, to pick it up quickly, learn it, and then have enough experience to jump into the starter set and go into advanced. And that's great. Uh, I'm happy to come back to D&D. It's awesome. Yeah, yeah. They definitely need to do something after losing so many fans to Pathfinder. Yeah. Yeah, and Pathfinder's going around saying that they're the best seller now, which nobody can really prove. But <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me if they were, because I don't see many people playing Dungeons & Dragons 4th Edition at all. Yeah, the, the two versions I see hitting the table most often are Pathfinder, and now the second runner isn't Pathfinder, it's Dungeon World, which is a riff on the Apocalypse World gaming engine. Is uh, But Dungeon World's a, a, a great, simple game. Um, and actual D&D is not hitting the table very often. Well, the challenge has always been, once they moved to 4.0, was they were trying to capture the online gameplay. So you had your tank, you had your striker, you had your glass cannon, you had all these types that you would find in the game. The problem was, you could find that in the game. So you really didn't need to play that as far as a you know classic D&D. So when you were playing 4.0, you were just throwing dice the entire time. You were just attacking. And for a classic D&D player... You want story. Let's build That's a story. It. Let's yeah. build Campaign. a character. Yeah. yeah. And 4.0 was kind of giving you that really kind of, you know, attack, 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 with not much story to it. So it's good to see that they're going back to the classics. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, is that PDF up now, or it's just coming later this summer? Uh, I'm sure this is probably going to hit right around Gen Con. Okay. That make, yeah, that would make sense. They have a huge presence. All right. So, uh, Daniel, what have you been looking at? Well, I've been living on Kickstarter recently, and uh, two... Uh, games have really caught my eye. One is Mahayoda, which is a card game based on Hindu mythology, um, which I've been interested in for a while, actually, and it's beautifully illustrated. The mechanics look interesting. It's very high on my list. Uh, The other uh, campaign that's caught my interest, partially because of how amazingly successful it's been, is the Galaxy Defenders Earth Strikes Back campaign, which is to launch two expansions to the Galaxy Defenders core set where humanity strikes back against the alien menace. Uh, This campaign, with a goal of $40,000, was funded in five minutes. That's about eight... (laughs) Wow. They they made at least $8,000 per minute in their initial funding, and within 48 hours had reached over four times their goal, nearly $200,000, nearly five times their goal. Um, And this... I've been on the fence about Galaxy Defenders for a while because it's an expensive game, and it's in that awkward tabletop board game, card game, RPG hybrid that is really hard to pull off, but the fact they have an $8,000 a minute fan base jumping in to fund their expansions tells me that this is probably a game worth getting my hands on. So the Galaxy Defenders core set, as well as its expansions, are very high on my list right now. That's awesome. Yeah, I I saw that. I actually have been looking at that for a little while, the the original one, because when I picked up Myths, I saw an article comparing the two, and I've always wanted to find something more in the sci-fi realm. Um, You know, that kind of tabletop RPG, miniature, whatever. We need to come up with a category name for that. Yeah. and last week too, I talked about Mahayoda last week, so that's like that's on my radar too. Yeah. So definitely want to check that out. The, the lesson to learn here is I am plagiarizing Anthony. That is that's what's happening. <laughs> that's exactly what I was trying to say. Yes, that's what's happening. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> 
So a couple of games that I'm looking forward to. Um, the first one is an expansion. So big fan of Smash Up, and they're actually having coming up this summer Smash Up the Monster Smash. So they're actually using classic movie monsters. So you'll have vampires, you'll have mad scientists, you'll have werewolves, and also giant ants. So if you remember that 1950s Them movie, that's what they're looking at there. So it's nice to see them take a classic and kind of bring it out to the world in that type of way. Because while I like the, you know, Russians riding bears and the cyborg apes, it's nice to see actually classic movie monsters in play. Another game that I'm really looking forward to is Aiello is releasing Friday the 13th. Now, the first time I thought this game was going to be some Jason kind of clone, it actually is kind of a reprinting of Poison. Now, we talked about this before. Poison is a um, trick-taking game, so you're actually playing cards into these different cauldrons and trying not to go over 13, because if you do, you have to collect the cards and those are points, and you don't want to get points in this type of trick-taking game. Now, obviously, if you get the most of one color, it doesn't count, but there's actually poisons thrown in there for additional points. So, obviously, Aiello always takes everything in a very cutesy type of way, so you, you see these little black cats, you know, kind of in their cartoon styles. So, looking forward to that game, because Poison has been out of print for quite some time, and everyone we know has been kind of, like, cobbling together you know, a version of this because it's a really fun and quick game and while not Anthony's favorite, I think he's played it a couple of times. I don't mind Poison. And that's that's a big thing! Because yeah, yeah. he hates trick-taking games! <laughs> I, I do, I do. And everybody always asks me when I someone will pull out a trick-taking game, I'll hate it. And I'm like, well, don't you like Poison? I'm like, yes. Yes, I do. Can we yes. play that instead, please? <laughs> there are so many iterations of that. Um, whether it's uh, what No Thanks or, or Nymphed or... There's also There's ba- of them. Baker's Dozen is also another kind of clone of Poison as well. Which I guess the word is it's an untrick-taking game. Sure. You're trying not to take tricks. Not yeah. But this Poison is a great iteration, and I'm looking forward to this uh, version of it. And finally, a big game that will be coming out called Aquaspear, which is a game from Stefan Feld, and we were all big Feld fans. Mm-hmm. I know. So, actually, this game is an, about an underwater research facility and as scientists and engineers, you're using robots and submarines to explore the bottom of the ocean depths. And it actually seems to have theme, which is crazy first Feld game. I no, I need to see it first. I don't it, believe it. It has it has theme. Come on, uh, no, no. you gotta believe. You gotta believe in theme. We'll see. We'll see. I don't know. <laughs> it's gonna be point salad, slightly more uh, organized than his last couple theme. No, no, maybe, maybe. Uh, it's, listen, it's it's not a true failed game unless I can score hundred points and come in last. <laughs> yes, that is the best description of what failed games I've ever heard. <laughs> so we're looking forward to this one coming out, and hopefully it has some theme to it. Yeah, I 100 percent agree with you, and I want this to happen. Yes, I'm just holding my breath. That's all. <laughs> The only correction to what you said there, Chris, is I've actually never played a Stefan Feld game. <gasps> I know. I feel like I know what a Stefan Feld game plays like yeah. already just from listening to you guys, but I've never actually had the chance to sit down with a Stefan Feld game. All right, we need to stop the podcast for a minute and play a Stefan Feld game. I actually don't own any. I just realized. I'm like looking at my shelf. I'm like, how do I not own one of these? I own several. Let's go to my house. Ready? Let's, let's all go. Daniel, let's shortcut this game. I award you 100 points. There. You're in a Stefan Feld game. All right. Ooh. That felt burn. Fair, but fair. 
Uh, okay, so the stuff that I've been looking at, uh, all expansions, the summer, so all the big expansions are coming out. But the one, the one big one that I have my eyes on is the new Mice and Mystics expansion. I talked Ooh. about the um, the one that came out last summer for like three months before it actually hit the hit the shelves. And <laughs> while I have not officially played through that campaign yet because I haven't finished the original one, I'm still excited about this one because I love Mice and Mystics, and the miniatures are fantastic. It's just this fun, cute, lovable, family-friendly dungeon crawl environment. And this one is like a big box expansion. So it's called Downwood Tales. Um, the last one was very small. It's like the size of a book. Um, it came with one new mini and a few, I think five new chapters. So it was, it was like a mini expansion. Um, I'm sure when I get there, we'll rip through it real quick. But this one is a big box expansion. I don't have a full list of what's in it yet. Doesn't look like they posted it, but it's, you know, the listing here is talking about multiple new playable characters, new villains, new minions, tons of new tiles, new equipment, um, a gecko, which is awesome. Ooh. <laughs> there are frogs. <laughs> uh, it's just fun. I don't know. Like, we need to get this to the table so I can get through that final campaign. Yeah. And uh, it's supposed to be out in August, so probably around Gen Con they'll release it there. This is what Plat Hat usually does, too. You can pre-order on the site. They'll ship it as soon as they have it. You can pick it up at Gen Con. It'll hit shelves in like October, so. Yeah, I'd be very excited to get this out on the table. I've never had a chance to play Mice and Mystics, but I'm a huge fan of Mouse Guard, which is a role-playing game where you play as mice in a sort of medievalist survivalist setting, um, and that theme seems close, though not exactly the same to what's going on in Mice and Mystics. And I am eager to give it a shot. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pursue this uh, at some point in the future. Uh, of all the top ten lists I've seen around, I've never seen top ten mice games. we got to talk about that. <laughs> Let's make it happen. Yeah, because that would be fun. A, seeing if we can come up with ten. And B... <laughs> four. Okay, just top four? Yeah. Top four. Fab that's, four. That's smart. Um, yeah, we'll get it out, because it's fun. I've played through the, I think, three chapters now, sporadically, but never with the same group of people. So, uh, we should do it. It's fun. It's quick. It's... It's not so light that you'd be bored. It's not that kind of light game, and it can get complicated and difficult. So I've heard people skip chapters just to get to the next one. Um, it's got challenge to it. I'm going to give it a shot. All right, so the one other expansion I have my eyes on is this new map pack for trains. Uh, I just picked up a copy a couple weeks ago online. It was on sale, and I like this game a lot. I feel like it adds uh, new elements to the deck building mechanic that other deck builders are not yet exploring. Finding a way to put a board out there, actually get more engaged than just building your deck and playing your cards. But the one thing the game lacks is replayability in terms of the map. The map is very set and there are certain spaces, and Chris has pointed this out to me multiple times, <laughs> there are certain spaces if you start there it's a little unbalanced. Hey, so. hey. Certain spaces, if you start there it's over. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It happens. I don't disagree, but I still like it, so I'm really excited. No, new I like the game too. I really like trains. It's really smooth, really clean. It's, it's definitely a great successor to Dominion. Hmm. And it, the cards look beautiful. The board, I don't know what they happen with the board. Did they run out of money? Because it's as boring <laughs> and as plain and as pedestrian as can be. I know that there were some comments, at least originally, that they weren't going to use cubes. They were going to use these little sticks that were going to kind of be like train routes. But coming out with new maps is absolutely the thing they needed to do to kind of punch this game up. Because, you know, there are two, three spaces where it's just almost kind of given that you're going to win that game and having the new maps really kind of opens up different gameplay so I'm looking forward to that yeah and they're ridiculously affordable too like usually oh sure like it's 10 bucks for two maps it's a one double sided map but it's not like that's totally fine it's yeah. not like Formula D where you spend $40 for the new boards like which is ridiculous not spending that 
Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to this one a lot. And that's really all it needs for an expansion is just some new maps, because otherwise the game has a lot of play replayability on it. Yeah. Yeah, and they're, I think they have another version coming out, actually. They're kind of going the Dominion Planes? Uh, planes is coming out? There's Planes, and then there's also a new version of Trains called Rising Sun. Oh, okay. Um, and that's going to be out in September, it looks like. So it's uh, introducing root bonus cards, so it's going that kind of... Oh, okay. Um, ticket to ride route, like kind of root building style. That's nice. I could use that too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's going to it's gonna make it more interesting. It looks like it's going to be a standalone. It's not going to be um, the same as the original Trains, and it has a different designer. It's based on his original game, but it's not from the original designer of Trains. But I'll be interested to see how they kind of spice it up. Alright, so that's all the stuff we've been looking at lately. Uh, next up, we're going to talk a little bit about Kickstarter. Daniel, take it away. So big news for those of you who are fans of our Kicking the Habit segment. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we decided that to adequately serve the needs of people who are interested in Kickstarter and the people who are trying to run Kickstarter campaigns, we're going to need to be able to respond more quickly and publish more quickly uh, information about these campaigns as they're going on. It's no help to you if we get you information two weeks later. So to deal with this issue, we've decided to spin off Kicking the Habit into its own series of articles, its own series of podcasts, and probably some video content eventually. This week we're going to be recording the first episode of the new podcast, and we've got a pretty exciting lineup. We're going to be talking about some of these particularly successful campaigns, like the Galaxy Defenders Earth Strikes Back campaign, which I mentioned a moment ago and trying to analyze what made them successful. Along with that, we're going to have two reviews of games that are still on Kickstarter, Evolution and Dubious Alliance. Both of these we're going to talk about a little bit here today, but I'm going to try to go more in-depth and more focused on them as Kickstarter campaigns in the Kicking the Habit podcast. Especially exciting, we have the designer of Dubious Alliance, Brandon Rush, and he is going to come on and do an interview with us to discuss his game, his design influences, what made him make it the way he did, and any advice he has for other people looking to make their own games, because he is an independent designer who went from concept to completion. Uh, within 12 hours, his game had funded, and he's right now sitting about 300% funding. Uh, so this should be a great source for those of you who are frequent Kickstarter backers, because we're going to try to get you information about the campaigns you should be looking at. And it's going to be a great source of information, uh, a great way for those of you who are designers to get your information out. And for those of you who are looking to be designers in the future, this is going to be where you're going to find advice from successful designers and analysis of successful and failing campaigns to see what works and what doesn't. So give it a listen subscribe yeah absolutely and it's a great idea when you brought it up i thought it was fantastic because it's so many people looking for this kickstarter information and we can't to cover everything we cover on this podcast we can't shove that much kickstarter stuff in you know we have to keep it kind of short we have to keep it to the point we can talk about two or three that we're interested in but you can dive a lot deeper we can write articles and dive a lot deeper and it i think a lot of people will be interested in i know i am so yeah, because Kickstarter isn't really a challenge because there are some beautiful gems of games that don't look that way, at least on the page. And then there are some games that look amazing, but for reasons that we even talked about in the past, don't make it to final production or don't play as well as they look. 
So it's really a good opportunity to let people know what to look forward to and what to avoid completely. Yeah, this has become an industry unto itself. This is an industry where you could really use some investment counseling. Um, you're putting your money into a game, so you want to know if it's a wise investment, if you're going to get your money back, um, or if it's going to be worthless. So, yeah, we need that kind of advice. Yeah. So check out Kicking the Habit for your Kickstarter news, investment advice, and for those of you who are looking to launch your own campaigns, some in-depth analysis of what will help them succeed. All right, awesome. So let's, uh, let's take a look at some of the games we played in the last couple weeks. At the table this week. All right, Chris, so you have a game that we picked up at PAX East that we finally got to the table. Yeah, it's a great game from Daniel Landis and Christopher O'Neill, Knuckle Sandwich. So we talked about this a little while back. This is a Cobalt's Ate My Baby RPG, but this is the card game version. So if you've ever had a chance to play Love Letter, you kind of played this game a bit. So we got a chance to get this to his table. Really fun artwork. So John Kolvik, who does the Munchkin artwork, you got these little Cobalt's. And the theme of the game is, you guys are really hungry, but there's really nothing out there to eat. So looks like we're gonna have to kind of eat each other a little bit. <laughs> so instead of kind of knocking out other players, you're gonna try to make some knuckle sandwiches and try to fill your belly with nine of them. And then that winner kind of wins the game. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And like you said, it's basically takes the love letter mechanic idea and then adds its own fun little theme to it. But there's also more cards. There's more um, variability. Like, for the example, the fork, which is the this version's game of the guard yes. from the Love Letter, you don't choose one card, you choose a flavor, and the flavors don't necessarily match up to only one type of card. So if you say bacon, that could be any of three or four different character cards. And it's kind of interesting as far as you point to someone and go, I think you taste like bacon. <laughs> yeah, which we totally did every time. It makes you almost kind of role-play it a little bit, so... Uh, Will this take people away from Love Letter? We got some addicts, I know. Is this going to eat into that market? It's interesting. Like Anthony was saying, you do have you have a, you have more cards than original Love Letter. So you have a zero card, and you have a pie card, and you have you have the die card, which is a nine level card. So you have a lot more to this game. It takes a lot longer to play because you're not just trying to win three hearts. Mm -hmm. You're actually trying to get to nine points, and there's multiple ways to get more points during a round. So it does play a little bit longer, but you do still have the same mechanics. You still have, like I said, the guard. You can take somebody out. You have like kind of the priest where you can look at someone's card. You have the baron type yeah. of card where you can match cards together. But it has a nice kind of fun, more jovial type of theme to it. So it plays a little bit longer than Love Letter. And I think that if this game kind of gets out there, I think Love Letter fans would like this. I think so, too. Yeah, and it plays more players, right? You can play up to seven? Yeah. I could definitely see it cutting into Love Letters fan base a bit. Uh, it, it, the theme is is more jovial, as you're saying. It's sort of a more outgoing game, is what, what it seems like to me. Like it's a game that you could pull out with people who are not already gamers. Love Letter, you can do that too because it's a simple game, but it seems to take itself more seriously. Whereas Knuckle Sandwich does not take itself seriously at all, which <laughs> I think makes it more approachable for those people who are not experienced gamers. Yeah, and there's a little more rules. It's going to take you an extra five, ten minutes to teach it, I think. If, mm -hmm. like, say, same person who's never played Love Letter, do you teach them Love Letter? Do you teach them this? I'd probably start with Love Letter. But I think in a lot of cases, especially with the gaming crowd, where you kind of get this whole you know, RPG-style you know, interaction level, this would be a lot more fun. Yeah, especially since uh, the level eight card 
is hell. So the last kobold to shout, all hail King Torg, gets eaten by the king. So that adds a little fun. And what's really interesting about the rules is, now obviously when you say that, everyone's going to jump in, and then now you can, now it's going to argue who said it first and who said it second. The game says that if people argue, they all get eaten. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's good. And the rules are even funny, like the way it's written. So it's it's fun, it's goofy, it's it's relatable. I mean, I want to play it again. Yeah, the only thing that's missing is some sort of token to kind of mark the score tracker. So what's really fun about the game and smart is on some on the cards as far as the keeping the track of the score. The other side's the rules. So you really do have this little little tiny pack of cards. Be nice if it had some sort of tracker for that. Yeah, that would have been nice. A little token or I something. I could pull some dice out. Yeah. yeah. But that game is great. You should definitely check that out if you can find it. All right, for Knuckles Sandwich, this is definitely a buy. It was kind of hard to find. We got the chance to pick this up at a convention. It was one of the stretch goals for the Kickstarter, but I'm sure if you beg, plead, and threaten to eat him, um, the designer will make this available for you. It's only a five buck game. You should definitely check this out. At five bucks, buy it twice. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I agree. Buy it, sleeve it, keep it, because I think this is one of those kind of games where people are going to look for this and look for you. Yeah. Yeah, because they want to play it, and it's hard to find. So. For me, I had two games hit uh, the table this week. The first is Turkey My Man, is a set collecting game where you're trying to build sandwiches. It takes maybe 30 seconds to learn. It's incredibly easy to play. It's very fun, I think, uh, and it's very affordable. I got mine for $10. It was on sale, but I think at max it's $15. Um, it's definitely a game worth looking at. Uh, we played it together. What did you guys think? We got a chance to play this with a very large crowd, and that was surprising because a lot of these games you don't get to play with a lot of different people. It was interesting because you do have your recipe cards, which are, are necessary to, to place in front of you in order to build that sandwich. And then you get these wacky vegetables, meats, and different sauces to kind of add together. So it was fun as far as building that kind of crazy sandwich. But the game is completely random because... You might have a sandwich that needs sauce, and you may never see a sauce card for the entire game, or you're building a big sandwich, and people keep grabbing components from your sandwich to add to their sandwiches. Um, the game plays to 50, and you can kind of hit 50 with two recipes, yeah. because you can add a lot of different things to it. Um, fun game, really random. I would even say more random than Munchkin in a kind of way. So check it out. I, this makes me think of um, the old arcade game, one of my old favorites, Burger Time. Oh, I remember Burger Time. You do, huh? <laughs> but, wow, but taking it from a solo arcade game and then multiple players all trying to horn in on other people's burgers sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, it was all right. Uh, <laughs> everything Chris said was my exact experience with this game, so I spent the first, we played for like 30, 35 minutes, I spent the first 25 minutes doing absolutely nothing. Because I needed a lot of vegetables, I did not draw a single vegetable card. <laughs> when I did draw one vegetable card, Daniel stole it from me. And then people kept taking my stuff and throwing things at me. So at one point, like the ninth round in, I had no cards in front of me except the recipes because someone had just taken all my stuff. Um, I did actually win the game in the end, which is, speaks to Chris saying how random it is. Because I suddenly just got all the cards I needed, dropped them down, and scored like 40 points off one sandwich. Um, and it does have that kind of screw your neighbor kind of mechanic because you do have cards that not only can take um, elements but whole sandwiches and you have cards you can throw glass or hair into someone's sandwiches which minuses points 
So you really want to bank a lot of cards early because otherwise you're kind of in a rough shape for the rest of the game. Actually, I think one of the key moments of uh, where the game turns around, though, is if you pull too far ahead early on, right? So one of the key strategies is don't do that. Don't pull ahead. <laughs> How does that help? <laughs> don't win the game! <laughs> well, if you pull ahead early on, you become the target, sure. and you're never going to move forward. So I was sitting at 42 for like seven turns while people just smacked me down while anthony because he had no points essentially was just being ignored building that monster sandwich over in the corner this is the same thing we had when we played with the new jersey folks which is no one was paying attention to me and i just kept building this monster sandwich up and eventually i banked it and won Right, sure. I made a 30-point swing in one move, and that just ended the game. But on the other side, I had a huge sandwich that was being built and could not get that last component no matter what and was just feeding everybody else because they were taking from my sandwich. And I think somebody else had no recipes, whereas I had all the recipes. So there's a lot of randomness to this game. It's fun, it's light, it's quick, um, but it's definitely a... Kind of like, I don't care if I'm winning, I'm just enjoying the game experience type Good of game. Good lightweight game. Yeah, exactly. If you're looking for a lightweight game, it I give it a strong buy. I do not, but <laughs> I didn't pick it up. Uh, I'm, I got this trick-taking vibe from it. I know it's not a trick-taking game, but it's just like one of those games where you could play the entire thing and get nothing done because of your random, inane luck and what other people do around you. I don't like those kind of games, so... It's a board game version of Burger Time! <laughs> Arcade games are always random, right? Come That's on. true. So. Yeah. <laughs> I could see how... I mean, I don't have a problem with it, necessarily. I just would I, not buy it myself. That's, that's the rating there. <laughs> if the game played faster, it's a play. It takes very long to kind of play that game. I think that when we play with New Jersey board gamers, we, we played for over an hour, right? For that game, at least an hour, an hour and a half? Yeah, though that was nine players, which... Sure. Is going to slow down any game. Definitely. So, play if you're looking for something just completely random and just completely wacky. Um, but dodge if you're looking for any type of strategy at all. Oh, yeah, yeah. If you're looking for anything serious, this is the wrong place to go. <laughs> the second game that hit the table for me this week is Dubious Alliance, a promo copy of a Kickstarter game that's coming out. Uh, and while I don't want to go into it too much in depth here, because we're going to be talking about it on Kicking the Habit, which you should listen to. You can't tell it, but again, I am pointing at you, listener. Rhetorical listener. Uh, (laughs) uh, It came across as a game with a good heart, but some messy application. And that cost the game a lot in value, uh, in terms of play value. Uh, We've got some suggestions that I'm going to give on Kicking the Habit that I think could radically improve the game and make it a lot more fun to play. Uh, But as it is, it's a borderline game uh, between, well, it's not really appropriate to say buy, play, dog because it's not available yet, but I would kick back and wait. Um, I played a game um, from 2013, actually, that's that's not really serious, but actually is a great strategy game. I mean, um, not strategy, whatever. It's just a great game. Hightail it. And it's crazy. Uh, it was published by Simply Fun. Simply Fun is an award-winning maker of family games. And sometimes they repackage older games and make them very bright and plasticky and colorful. And um, so Hightail it was from 1995, but they published it uh, last year. Eric Solomon, the designer. It's, it's a simple game you can teach to your kids. It's nothing more than moving your five little kangaroos around the board uh, in a circle by hopping other kangaroos, and that's the game. 
Um, lovely. Uh, you, you start at the, the start line and the finish line is the same. So you get all your guys around the board hopping over and the first one to get all five across wins. It's not hard to teach the kids. Um, the only drawback I've found is I've only ever played it with adults and man, does it suffer from analysis paralysis. Yeah. <laughs> um, here's the thing. They have, they give you this little, um, neutral kangaroo to help you make your moves. So you can pick your guy up, put the neutral guy in its place and practice trying all these different moves. So it encourages it. And that way you never forget where you, you started from. It encourages it to take as much time as you want. Um, otherwise, man, I love it. I would still say it's a buy because easy to learn lifetime to master. <laughs> yeah, I had a lot of fun with the game. We didn't quite finish the game we played. We were just no. running with through it. With four adults, it's a it long game. Long. Yeah. But it was really cool, like, towards the end of the game when everybody had spread out around the board. And some of, I think you and Chris both did this, where you had guys way back behind the starting line, and you shot all the way to the front with, like, ten jumps. Yeah. I love that. That's really cool. It, you're never really out of the game. Yeah. I do think there's a challenge with this game because... As Drew was saying, maybe you're never out of the game, but there are situations where just by chance or maybe by strategy, your kangaroos could get left in a position where they can't benefit off another kangaroo. So you might get stuck and have to go one, one, mm -hmm. one, yeah. one, and then you're just going to be pulling your hair out for 15, 20 minutes because you just can't lock on but, to somebody else. But that's what happened. My, my guy was even behind yours, farther behind. <laughs> and you kept moving yours out of the way, and I had to keep moving. <laughs> Finally, I was able to jump and move around the board. Yep. I think for at least the time being, because it doesn't have any additional complexity to it as far as strategy is concerned, you can do really well, or just by chance, you could get stuck way behind. And for the length of the game, I'm going to dodge it for now. Mm -hmm. Well... You guys should know Simply Fun Games anyway. A great family game maker. Yeah. I'd put it as a play. Uh, it was reasonably fun. I don't know that I'd buy it, but it's definitely, in, in my view, not something you need to jump out of the way of. All right, so what I did this last week, um, I was actually in Pittsburgh for like a week with the family, uh, just you know, taking some time off work. Um, and when I did a quick Google search, as I always do when I visit a new city, I saw there were five self-described board game stores in the area. Um, so we tried to visit as many of those as I could. Now, they weren't all board game stores, which is what you'll find if you actually Google board games anywhere comic you go. Comic book stores, right? Yeah, it was one that was a comic book store with board games on the wall. There was another that was only magic cards. There was another that was a toy store with board games on the wall. But there was one store that I went to um, that was incredible. It was called Games Unlimited. It's in the Squirrel Hill neighborhood. So if you're in Pittsburgh and have not heard of this place, you should definitely check it out. I've never heard of Squirrel Hill. I'd like to find that <laughs> I know. I saw one squirrel the entire time we were there. Uh, That's why it's not Squirrel's Hill. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> so I saw the squirrel. <laughs> uh, so we stopped in there, and these guys were fantastic. They were really nice. It was some of the best board game selection I've ever seen in a store. Um, they didn't have any play space, but they they themselves managed multiple meetup groups throughout the week. So if you're in the area, you know, stop in there. Tons of different places to play. So the store's been around for like 35 years. So they've been there for a long time. They're like an establishment in this neighborhood. Um, obviously it was new to me because I just got there. But I spent, I think I went there three times over the week because we just ended up in the neighborhood and I was like, I'm going to stop back by there. Um, but they had a really nice selection. Uh, one of the coolest things, though, is that while I was there, um, the owner there was showing me some of the local games uh, that are published by local um, publishers. 
All right, so one was by this guy who does a lot of print-and-play games in the area, um, and they sold a bunch of his stuff, but his name's Todd Sanders. And uh, I haven't actually gotten a chance to play it yet, but it was like 8 bucks, and it was this print-and-play um, kind of two-player strategy game. I'm going to give it a shot. We'll talk about it in the future. Uh, another one I picked up was called Morels, and it was it's basically this two-player um, strategy game where you're walking through the forest and foraging for mushrooms. It's kind of a funny theme because the whole point is that you have to find mushrooms, trade them to buy more resources to find more mushrooms, and then cook said mushrooms and eat them. And that's how you score points. Does uh, is, is that a, have a Pittsburgh connection, or you just happened to buy it there when you were... It does. It's from a Pittsburgh-based uh, designer. I know this really? is... Really? Oh, wow. Yeah, this is a, a wide I, release. But... I played that. It's a great game. Yeah, have you played it? Pittsburgh! Wow, there's more yeah. to it than I thought. Yeah, that's how he pitched it to me. It's uh, uh, Brent Povis, and it's Two Lanterns Games. So and this is you know somebody from Pittsburgh and I haven't gotten a chance to play it yet but his pitch was I like this better than Lost Cities so I went with mm. it. Um, I've been meaning to pick up Lost Cities just as a quick two-player strategy game and so that was an easy sell for me. Right. So this will hit the table very soon and we'll talk about it. But uh, it was just a lot of fun and it was just cool to see that kind of um, camaraderie. Like these are the local designers. Check them out. Uh, and it was just this community that I obviously walked into. Um, and that was basically what I did for my gaming, in addition to spending like five hours learning how to play War of the Ring uh, on this vacation. Wow, those gamers in Pittsburgh are lucky. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, let's move on. We're going to talk about our feature review today, and that is Freedom. Freedom! And now for the feature review... The game of the week, or the game of the two weeks, Freedom, the Underground Railroad. Um, Academy Games, uh, basically they hooked up with designer Brian Mayer, who started this on Kickstarter. It was a game called Conductor, um, and he probably had trouble funding it because everyone thought it was a train game. So it got changed to Freedom, the Underground Railroad. And it's about conducting slaves from plantations all the way to Canada. Um, and it's based on the reality that even if you got a slave out of the plantation and into the north, they were still subject to the fugitive slave laws and they could be dragged back. So you got to get them all the way to Canada. So you and up to three other players, you start with $8 and you start with a roll card, just like Pandemic. The rolls all have strengths and they have benefits that you can use. Um, and there's, you get to use those roll, those benefits each of the eight rounds. You have a special power that you get to use only once. Those benefits will help you in getting funds, in moving runaways, or purchasing support tokens. If you use that one special power at any point in the game, it's going to diminish the other benefits that you gain, so uh, that you have on that roll. So you got to really pick a good time to use that special power. It's crucial to wait for the moment. You have three plantations in the Deep South. They're populated with little slave tokens, cubes. There's a slave market for each of the eight rounds. And you fill those slave markets with tokens, too. You also have a goal card that tells you how many slaves you have to free and the, the cutoff for how many slaves you can lose and still win the game. We can talk about that later because the whole notion of acceptable losses is... Make, this game makes you think about that twice. It also has a card mechanic that makes you think of Twilight Struggle in that there's three time periods 
and there's specific event cards that are tied to each of three time periods. So you have those three decks. You start with the first one, which is 1800, 1839. And like Pandemic, you take some, some negative cards, you shuffle them in randomly. So you're turning over cards. Um, it's just these are cards that you purchase in order to activate. The negative cards, obviously, you don't purchase because they trigger either automatically as soon as they're turned over or they're triggered when they're removed. Sometimes you don't want to remove it because you don't want to trigger that, the negative action. So you're dealing with all that. Most of the cards are good, and they also help you to move slaves. They also help you to fundraise. Stopping you, between you and Canada, are five slave catchers. There's tracks throughout all the cities of the north that slave catchers follow. So if you're trying to get a slave through the north into Canada and you cross one of their tracks, they're going to start moving toward you. So you really have to time your dash for freedom just right. There's a planning phase where we buy tokens. One of the tokens is uh, conductor tokens. These help us move the slaves north. And then there's an action phase where we use the tokens that we bought, like fundraising tokens. Some of these fundraising tokens are for the south, some are for the north. If you fundraise, you get a dollar for every single slave you have on the run in the South, and that helps you buy more support tokens. The other actions you do with your money are buying the abolitionist cards that you deal out. They start off being expensive fairly, and then they get cheaper if they're not bought. So that's a familiar mechanic to a lot of people. And then uh, at the end of every round, if Hopefully you've freed enough, you've moved enough slaves out of the plantation. The slave market disgorges all its slaves into the plantation. If you don't have enough room in your plantations, in other words, if you haven't moved enough slaves, you're going to lose those slaves. You've got the victory condition of moving a certain number of runaways to Canada. You also have the victory condition of buying a certain number of support tokens that symbolizes the need to raise funds. And with more slaves being brought into plantations every round, Freedom has this rush of pandemic. It's like you've really got to get moving right from the start. Like Flashpoint, it forces you to reconsider the phrase acceptable losses. Firefighters don't believe in acceptable losses. And in Flashpoint, even though you're allowed to lose some people, you don't want to. This game is just like that. You don't want to lose any slaves. But it's inevitable. It's almost impossible to, to finish the game without losing some. So even if you meet the victory conditions, you're going to feel like, i got to do better next time. Uh, okay, so, so we did bring it to the table. We lost badly. Um, <laughs> is that because we just are stupid, or there was just something preventing us from, from really engaging with the game? Well, I think we got a really bad initial card draw, where we had two pretty devastating uh, negative cards that combined well, individually they weren't so bad, but combined they were devastating to our ability to buy support tokens early on, which you mentioned is a necessary condition of victory. Yeah. And to get right into my opinions of the game, just I don't, they don't do anything except for there being tokens that you have to buy to win. They don't have any effect on the game. Buying them doesn't do anything except eventually move you through these phases, these time periods. But it ends up being pretty uninteresting. And I can enjoy a game when I lose, because you know, my rule for a game is it's not a good game unless I enjoy it when I'm getting beaten. Especially a cooperative game. Yeah, you're supposed to have a hard time with these. I did not enjoy this game really at any point. I think the challenge of this game is that 
it's trying to be very thematic for the time and age and really take you through a history. So it was nice to see those different cards pop up, both good and bad, because it gave you a flavor of what was going on, who the important characters were, and how do you deal with that. On the opposite side, as far as the mechanics are concerned, I had two issues. First is, whenever you're playing a co-op game, there is there tends to be a situation where there's a mathematical formula that if you were this brilliant mathematician and you could look at the board, you could know whether or not you're going to win within the first or second turn because you move this, they move here, you move this, they move there, and it's really kind of a calculation as far as what you should be doing. And this game does have that alpha game a problem where you're, the individual players are not really personally adding anything to the game. There's really just one type of strategy that you have to follow, and there's no differentiation between I'm going to do this, then you'll do that, and then we'll do this, and I'll add my power to this, or we'll buy that card. Really? I thought that I thought that existed. That was there. Well, I mean, we were. There was only one place we could move the slaves, whether they would not get, where they wouldn't get caught. And then when we did that, the, the slave catchers would move to a certain spot. But you had to keep looking three or four steps ahead. Yeah, and I think... This is where groupthink, I sure. mean, it helped. We could all see. Yeah, but I think there was a straight mathematical formula, and there wasn't enough variability either in the slave catcher die or the cards that were coming out, because the other part was we, I was doing the same actions over and over. We were all doing the same actions. We were buying tokens that were either moving slaves two spaces or three spaces, or we were buying a card, and or we were fundraising, and that was it. There was no difference to that. We were just doing the same actions over and over again. Yeah, I mean, I think part of the problem is that if you took out the support tokens, I think the game would be very... It, it, would, it, it flowed really well. It made a lot of sense until that point we realized that we were going to lose because we didn't buy enough of those. Yeah. Um, it feels almost contrived, and I do get the thematic point of it, you know, you, it's not good enough just to get the slaves out of the United States. You need to develop support for abolition, so it, it's not an issue in the first place. But the way it's implemented is basically, if you don't get every possible dollar, every possible step of the way, and there was a couple things we could see where like we could have got more money this way, this particular card was on the board, making it really hard to get money. Uh, what For like three rounds, we were getting less during uh, when we moved on to specific cities where you would normally get money. There was, yeah... But I don't know that that would have, even with that money, I don't think we would have stood a chance. Because we still had, like, eight support tokens left at the end. That's 80 bucks that we didn't have, so... Now, I played this game again uh, with a group of three different players, and we won, we only won on the very last round after we had thought that we'd lost. We finally figured out a way that we could make money. Um, I think it's, it's reminding each other what our task is. So, Drew, for you, is this game a buy, play, or dodge? As much as I love this, it's a definite play. It's a worthy game. Um, you've got to try it out. I, I would have to say that because it's the theme. But what ruins it is the unthematic support tokens. But play it for the, the, the cooperative aspect of bringing slaves to freedom. The, the Civil War is all about battles, and here's a chance to visit that time period with something positive. Great. Daniel? It's a very interesting theme, a beautiful board. I like the way it looks. I 
absolutely despise the way it plays. It wasn't just hard, hard is fine. It wasn't just slow, slow is fine. It was boring. Right? We mentioned the roll cards all essentially are the same. Imagine Pandemic if you had every card being, I can move two cubes instead of one. This is the firmest dodge I've given so far, I think. So for me, since this game has great components, great theme, great look to it, I want to say play, but the, the gameplay and the mechanics are so boring. And when you play a game, you play a game to make interesting choices. That's what gaming is all about, making interesting choices. This game doesn't have interesting choices, and I'm going to have to dodge it. I agree with Drew. I think it's a worthy game. I feel like uh, it borders on the level of finding a way to evoke emotion while playing a game, which is almost artistic in the way it does it. I also agree with probably more Chris than Daniel. I don't despise the boringness of the game, but I did feel a little bored throughout, um, which, to be honest, I felt bad about because I felt like it was I felt like I was in a history <laughs> class. Um, like, oh, this is important. I shouldn't be so bored. But it is. like <laughs> The length, the duration, and the fact that you know way too early if you're going to lose and you still have to finish out that game um game like pandemic you can get to the final round and still feel like you could pull it out and then not and that's fine this game we knew really about halfway through the game we were going to lose uh and i feel like it probably liked that a lot because of those support tokens once you know you're not going to be able to afford them all you're not going to be able to afford them all so, so. Le- less emphasis on those definitely so and- i would say it's definitely worth playing i would definitely not buy it um and i don't know that i definitely want to play it again but i'm happy i played it the one time All right, and that's our review of Freedom. All right, guys, so that's everything for this week. Remember to stop on by the uh, blog and check out some of the articles we have up there. And uh, definitely check out Daniel's new uh, Kick in the Habit podcast. We'll be waiting for you. Kick it. All right, so that's everything for this week. This is Anthony. This is Chris. This is Daniel. This is Drew. Until next time, we'll save you a seat at the table. All righty, guys. Uh, Let's get... On to the next episode. Well, let's let's get some Feld out because yeah, 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 yeah. you guys don't know anything about Feld. <laughs> I know every, I know about Feld. <laughs>